All right, here it is, folks. It's still Friday the 19th for me, but it's Wednesday the 24th or beyond for you. So yeah, I guess that means I'm talking about the Wheel of Time Episode 3 today, right here on this very podcast, which I happen to call The Streaming Fool. Hello and welcome to The Streaming Fool, the podcast that takes lemons and throws them in the garbage, because frankly, we'd rather have pineapple. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and yeah, here we go again! Three episodes in a row, folks, it's a special week here on The Streaming Fool, the Wheel of Time, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Hawkeye, Thursday and Friday. Will this ever happen again? I don't know, maybe, probably, who knows? I've never recorded three episodes by myself on one day. And uh, so far, my voice is holding up. So yeah, folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going a little crazy, little crazy today because we're going to talk about the Wheel of Time episode number three. This sucker is called A Place of Safety. And here's what Wikipedia has to say about it. The Two Rivers villagers are separated from Moraine and each other, with Matt and Rand trekking across the wilderness in one direction, Egwene and Perrin in the other, and Lan and an injured Moraine confronted by an angry Nynaeve demanding to know where the villagers are. A flashback shows Nynaeve escaping, outsmarting and killing a Trolloc that captured her. Egwene and Perrin are followed by wolves, and Perrin has another nightmare about wolves and the mysterious fiery-eyed figure. They find safety and rest with the Tuatha'an, or Tinkers, a peaceful, nomadic group. Matt and Rand argue about whether to go home or to the White Tower, with Matt showing darker tendencies that Rand does not like. They encounter a gleeman, Tom Marilyn, in a village where he steals their gold and they are attacked by a dark friend who Tom kills. Nynaeve and Lan argue about the villagers and whether Nynaeve should heal Moraine. Eventually, Nynaeve concedes, using herbs to help the Aes Sedai while Lan scouts. Moraine recovers enough to travel, and they encounter Red Sisters on the road, including Leandrin, who have captured the self-proclaimed Dragon Reborn, Loghain Ablar, a man who can channel the One Power. So, okay. Again, here is the uh, little bit here from the Wikipedia that's giving us more than what's in the episode, as in the name Loghain. Now, granted, I'm sure you could have just read the credits, to find out who the dude in the cage was, what his name was, if you were all that interested. So I'm sure that's where the name comes from. But yeah, we'll get into that here in a second. So let me talk a bit here first about Perrin and the wolves, because I left a little bit. I started to talk about it in the last episode and just kind of trailed off while I was focusing on something else. But Perrin encounters a pack of wolves in the last episode. He had been wounded during the attack on Emmons Field and I'm assuming it was not by any kind of poisoned Trolloc weapon because he doesn't seem to be in bad shape like Moraine is. But he had been wounded. At one point in the second episode, he's down by the river and he's filling up their water packs and he comes across a great big bunch of wolves. And one group is blocking his path and he turns around and there's another group blocking his path back and he's kind of trapped and they're growling and they're barking. And then 
they end up just kind of watching him for a bit. And one of the wolves walks over to him. He had rolled up his pant leg a bit because that's where he's wounded. And he was looking at his wound. He was checking it out. And this wolf just kind of rolls up to him all casual like and starts licking the wound. And then the wolves go off on their own. So that's his encounter with them in the previous episode. In this episode, he and Egwene find themselves in this kind of like prairie land where it's very windy and very cold and they can hear wolves all around them just howling and yapping and barking and growling and they they're they're trying to run and they find a bit of shelter uh amongst this like it looks like a big fallen tree possibly or a bunch of trees that have been thrown together i i I couldn't quite tell but they decide to uh, make a fire to see if that'll keep the wolves away they gather up some twigs. Perrin is trying to start the fire with his knife and a flint, and the spark is not quite taking. Uh, but then Egwene does a little concentration stuff, and before you know it, they got a fire going. And Perrin asks her, I don't know if that was you or me, but uh, if you could use the one power to conjure us up a little food and water, that'd be great. So here's here's something else that is a bit different from the show and the books. Um, Perrin might have been freaking out a bit if he had learned that Egwene had just channeled the one power. The folks in the two rivers are very superstitious. They're they're kind of uh you know, a lot of these a lot of these folks that don't grow up around Aes Sedai think of them as witches and possibly evil. They're not quite on the side of the white cloaks when they think about it, but it's not a good thing. It's not always a great thing for somebody to be channeling the one power and in fact they throw the name dragon around quite a bit in this episode just nonchalantly there there's a moment where uh well we'll get to that i'll I'll try to remember to get to that in a bit anyway because i was talking about the wolves um that night as they're sleeping perrin has a dream that he's back home and he wakes up in his bed and he can't find his wife and there's a wind rolling through the house and he he goes into the forge and there's his wife laying there dead and a wolf is feeding upon her entrails. And then suddenly Baalzaman, the dude with the burning eyes, is there and it's really quite scary and Perrin wakes up uh, practically screaming. Now, it's funny, in this description, they refer to him as a mysterious fiery-eyed figure but for the description of the second episode, whoever wrote it in Wikipedia, they actually refer to him as Baalzaman. So I think that's kind of funny. Anyway, basically, that means that, like I said in the previous episode, the dreams are continuing. It's, it's a big theme uh, with Baalzaman, the dark one, coming to them in their dreams to try and, uh, well, he can, he can control them in their dreams if they let him. Uh, so anyway, we're going to see more of that more than likely. But when he wakes up, it's it's morning and Egwene is freaking out because the wolves are closer. And so they run and they're being chased through this. It's kind of like a, a scrubland. It's like kind of dusty prairie with uh, tiny leafless trees all over the place. And it's just it's not it doesn't seem like a nice place to be. But they're being chased by these wolves who are constantly yapping and nipping and barking at their heels until finally they come across a track across the the prairie. It's a, it's a wagon track. And once they come across it, they notice that the wolves have stopped chasing them and in fact are kind of hanging back. 
And Egwene makes a comment that it seems as if the wolves were guiding them to this track. And again, the wolves have a connection with Perrin that uh, I was hoping they would explore a bit more in this episode, but they, they, they did. They give you a bit more of it, but they don't really quite let the cat, or is it the wolf, out of the bag. Hey, hey. Anyway, they follow these tracks until they find uh, these people called the Tuatha'an, uh, or the Tinkers. And it's kind of a weird meeting because Egwene and Perrin act like they've never heard of the Tinkers before, and yet in the book, they have... Um, and again, in the book, there was a third person with them that has not shown up in this show yet and may not uh, at this point. The way they're handling, because the person that was with them at this point is kind of the bridge between Perrin and the wolves and is there to kind of explain what's going on between Perrin and the wolves. And since they've already introduced the wolves into Perrin's life at this point without this third figure, um, I don't know if he's going to be in the show. I'm actually going to look it up real quick and see if this dude is on the cast list. One moment, please. Nope, I don't see him there. Uh, Hey, I'm back. No, I don't see him there. So I don't know if he'll show up in the show or not. I don't want to talk about him yet at this point anyway, because it kind of gives away this connection between Perrin and the wolves. So I'm, I'm not going to talk about him at this point. But speaking of characters that were in the book that I was expecting to show up in the TV show at this point and who I said in the last episode probably would show up here in episode three. He did. That's Tom Marilyn. He's a gleeman in the book. He was there at Emmons field when it all started. He was uh, hired by the village council to come and perform during the, uh, Beltine celebrations, but in this show, in the show here, they actually meet him at this time, this small village that Rand and Matt come across to try to find. They, 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 you know, they're there to get some food, maybe some lodging for the night. Um, a couple of big changes already with Tom is that a he doesn't wear the patched cloak of the Gleeman that they had in the in the book, which is a a, ra- a patch of. Multi, just multicolored patches all over the cloak to uh, identify them as a gleeman. He also apparently does not use his harp and flute, which was kind of a big thing in the books. Uh, instead, the one time we see him perform in this episode, he uh, has a guitar, which it kind of works. He's more of a, you know, in in the book, he had these big white mustaches, as they say, and he's just got a kind of a, a Van Dyke goatee thing going on in the in there a beard and a mustache in this um, in the show. And he seems to be a little more um, country in the show, kind of a, a you know, kind of like a, a rustic down home country boy, kind of old man, kind of a Sam Elliott. It's almost like they said, hey, you know what? The big mustaches in the book make me think of Sam Elliott. So let's do a Sam Elliott kind of thing with this character. But of course, he's kind of English. Uh, but that's that's kind of what I'm, you know, it, that's kind of what I'm picking up here because of the guitar and the coat that he wears. He's not, uh, he's more cowboy than 
the way he was in the in the books. That's that's kind of how I feel. Others may have watched it and and come up with a different conclusion, but I like him. I like the character in this in this uh, TV show so far. It's kind of a funny way that they meet. Um, Rand and Matt come across this village. They go into the to the pub to get a bite to eat or the inn as they would call it. And there's this Gleeman who is performing and, and he does a song. And then when he comes off stage, he, he joins them at their table. Uh, I, I don't remember if there's a reason why, but he joins them at their table. Oh, because as uh, uh, Rand and Matt are at the bar and uh, the Gleeman Tom, he finishes performing. He comes down from the stage, Rand and Matt start heading to their table some random dude in the in the inn bumps into Matt uh, and then, you know, as they're on their way to the table and then Tom is there and he bumps into this man and then goes to sit down with with Rand and Matt. And turns out this man who had bumped into Matt had stolen his coin purse from him and Tom had seen this. And so then he bumped into the man and stole the coin purse back. So as they're sitting there at the table. The waitress, Dana, she's an important part in this episode. We'll get to her in a second. She uh, brings them their their soup and a big tankard of ale. And she says, for the Gleeman. And Matt says, we did not uh, order that. And she goes, consider it a donation for the Gleeman then. And that's when Matt goes to find his purse and he can't find it. And the Gleeman says, that's all right, Tom. Well, I keep saying the Gleeman. That's when Tom says, that's all right. And he gives her the, the coin. And then he holds up Matt's coin purse. And uh, Matt, you know, tries to get it back and he goes, consider it a, a donation to the Gleeman uh, or a, a lesson learned, basically. And Rand's like, it's a very expensive lesson. Uh, so basically, the main points in this episode that we get here is that the wolves with Perrin and then meeting up with the Tuatha on the Tinkers. We don't get much with the Tinkers at this point. That's kind of where we leave off with Egwene and Perrin in this in the story so far. Uh, the Tinkers are traveling folk. They are apparently known for thievery, stealing children. At least that's their reputation. That's, that's not who they are. Um, but they travel the world looking for the song. That's about all we know about them at this point. Uh, Rand and Matt, they, in, they go to this village. Um, Outside the village is a dead man hanging in a cage that has arrows sticking out of him. Matt notices what looks like uh, uh, maybe some gemstones hanging from the man's belt. That will play a part here in a second. After they after they pay for their soup, they go to Dana, the barmaiden, to see what they can do to pay for a room or at least a place to sleep for the night. And so she puts them to work. Uh, she has... Uh, she, she sends them out back to split wood. And so Rand is getting ready to start splitting wood. And he tells Matt, he goes, we'll just take turns. And Matt just starts turning in, into a, a great big jerk at this point, even more of a jerk than he normally is. And he's like, no, I'm not going to split wood. This was your idea to to go this direction. I want to go home. I don't know why you're you're chasing after Egwene. Uh, they're all dead anyway. And even if they were alive, she wouldn't do this for you. And he just suddenly turned very dark. Uh, so Rand basically tells him that he's a jerk and fine. He'll just do all the work and Matt will do nothing as usual. And while they're out there, you know, as they're arguing again, as I was trying to say earlier, they're really, they're just throwing the name dragon around like it's no big deal. And he's like, do you really think it's true that one of us might be the dragon? 
And it's like, they never would have done that in the book. In anywhere, anywhere that somebody might have heard that in any way, they never would have done that because saying that somebody that you know, even like, like that you or the person next to you or just somebody you know back home might be the dragon reborn, might get you killed. And so everybody knows that. So they're being very cavalier with the word with the, with the, the name dragon and Isodai and, and whatnot. It's it's very strange. It's a it's something that I'm gonna really have to get used to in this book because the moment he said, "What do you think that one of us might be the dragon?" I just immediately thought the other one would say, "What do you just lower your voice?" You know, and I kind of tensed up, but nothing. So uh, they split up. Not permanently. Matt goes back into the bar and he starts uh, serving drinks for 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 Dana. And then uh, he leaves once the once their day is done. Dana comes out to find Rand still splitting wood, and she goes, "Oh, I let uh, Matt end his day an hour ago. I figured he'd be out here with you." And Rand's like, "No, he he's he's fairly worthless." And and she goes, "Well, let me show you where you're going to be staying." And she takes him back into this room. It's like a storeroom with a cot in it and or a couple of cots. And uh, then they start kind of flirting. There's a there's a major flirt vibe going on between the two of them. And it was actually really funny because uh, she just assumes that the two of them are together. She kind of hints around that. I mean, not really. She's not really hinting. She's she's straight out basically saying, you know, this is uh, uh, it's got stout doors and nobody can hear you anything here. You know, nobody can hear anything that's going on in here. So if you guys want to get as loud and crazy as you want to, you know, a little slap and tickle and. It was really nice because Rand doesn't get offended. You know, it's like some some shows you see where uh, somebody assumes that two dudes that are friends are, you know, actual lovers. Uh, they're always like, oh, no, 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 I'm, there's no way. Oh, my gosh, I'm not gay. And they're really upset and freaking out. You know, the homophobia really kind of takes over big time. But Rand is really cool about it. And he goes, no, no, we're not together. And, you know, if I wanted to get a guy, I could get a better guy than him. And so I don't know if that, if, if, uh, maybe what they're trying to say with that scene is that homosexuality in this, in this world, in this universe is not uncommon and it's not a big deal. And, uh, nobody, uh, gets all bent out of shape about it. So that's kind of cool. Um, but then of course, once she learns that that's not the case, there's some pretty heavy flirting going on between the two of them. She's actually, she was actually flirting with Matt a bit uh, to a certain extent when they were together in the bar, but she's really, she's really turning it on with Rand and Rand is throwing it right back at her. It felt really weird, very out of character for Rand. Uh, but I guess it kind of turns out that Rand just wasn't really flirting with her. It's just the way he is. He's just so direct that uh, she took it for flirting, I guess. But as they're talking, we find that Matt has gone outside and he's gone back to this dude, this dead guy that's hanging in the cage. And I guess he 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 seems to be there probably to steal whatever these uh, what looks like gems hanging from the guy's belt. But then Tom is there. Tom is very offended that Matt's there. He's like, why are you here? And Matt says, well, I could ask the same of you. And Tom's like, well, I'm here to bury this man. Step away from him, uh, you know, and. Matt pulls the ruby hilted dagger, which really hasn't gotten a mention since he took it from that from the previous episode. Nobody's mentioned it. You're not even you're not even drawn. They don't make a big deal of flashing it in front of your eyes 
when he draws it. I mean, it could be any other knife in his hand. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that it was the ruby hilted dagger if you hadn't known that he t- that he took it in the previous episode. And even then, you might not even know that that's what it is were you not someone like me who's kind of versed in the books. But he tells Tom, you know, to back off that he's not, you know, he didn't survive Trollocs to be killed by a singer. And Tom says, what's a, what's a Two Rivers farm boy know about Trollocs? And anyway, they, they start to become friendly. They start to talk and, and uh, come to find out the guy in the cage is an Aielman. We'll learn a lot more about them. But uh, Matt says, well, I heard that Aielman are as bad as Trollocs. And Tom's like, well, no, they're fighters and they're darn good fighters, but they have a code of honor. And these people murdered him just simply for being an Aielman. They they saw him and just 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 cut him down because of who he was, not because of what he may have done or will do. And uh, he he says, uh, "Help me get him down." And so they get the they get the cage down. They get the guy out, and he he's talking about the the Aiel man, and he's like, "See this veil here? What you got to look for is if the Aiel man if if they if they veil themselves, then then they're ready for a fight. That means that they're coming to get you." But otherwise, they're, you know, they're not going to hurt you. And he does kind of point out the guy's hair. Uh, the Aiel, apparently, they are, well, not apparently, I know this from the books. They are ginger warriors. Uh, and they, and, you know, they, they make a point to point out his hair. That's all, that's all I'm going to throw out there. Ginger warriors. Uh, so then he asks Matt again, what were you doing here? What are you doing here? And Matt tells him honestly, he says, look, I was just, I was ho- thinking the guy might have a bit of money on him, you know? He can't use it now. And Tom kind of looks at him for a second and he's like, you know what? We've all hit very desperate times. So I'm going to turn my back and you just do what you need to do. So Tom turns around. Matt goes through the guy's pockets. He finds, uh, uh, I don't know if they're gems or just colored rocks. He doesn't quite know himself, but he takes them. And there's a, a carving of a little wooden dog. And then uh, he and Tom bury the man. Tom says, you know, if you're going to go through a dead man's pockets, if you're going to steal from a dead man, the least you can do is bury him afterwards. So they they bury him. So we go back to Rand and Dana and turns out she she was flirting with him. She leans in for a kiss. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm sorry. That's, you know, that's not what, you know, that's not what I'm interested in. And well, you know, it's not what she was interested in either. She's a dark friend. She locks him in the room with her. She grabs, she steals his sword and she basically, she's telling him, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to wait for Matt because I need both of you. Uh, Matt Rand starts uh, trying to knock down the door, which she kind of laughs at. She goes, I told you that door is made of ironwood. Nobody's going to nobody's going to be able to knock it down. And like I said, nobody's going to hear you screaming in this room. But Rand keeps pounding his shoulder against the door. And eventually he knocks it off its hinges. And she looks quite amazed at the fact like. Something else is going on here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to do that. But he runs and she chases after him, wielding his sword, which, uh, you know, I don't want to make a big deal out of his sword because they haven't made a big deal out of his sword yet. But you know what? His sword's kind of a big deal. And I find it kind of odd that nobody has said anything about his sword. We uh, we get in the very first episode a glimpse of the heron on the blade of the sword and that's a big deal. And in fact, the moment Rand gets to the freaking village in the book and he takes, well, he takes uh, Tam to the inn 
And then when Moraine and Lan come in so Moraine can heal him, the very first thing that Lan says to uh, Rand is, is that a heron mark blade? Is there, is there, you know, is there a heron on the, on the blade as well? It's a funny thing to see in the two rivers. And, you know, right away, he, he points out that it's, that it's an odd sword. It's not odd, you know, it's odd enough that there is a sword in the two rivers, but a heron mark sword is even doubly odd. And the fact that they haven't mentioned it at all yet in these first three episodes, I've, there's just weird things happening, weird things that they're focusing on, like just bandying the word dragon about like it's no big deal and then there's things that they should be focusing on that they're not like the heron mark blade i just i don't know it's confusing me again i'm enjoying the crap out of the show but it's confusing me anyway as rand is running from dana who is wielding his sword chasing him through the village with his sword matt shows up and then now they're both running from her through the streets of this village and she's chasing them with the sword and then she corners them in a back alley. And that's when she reveals to them that she's a dark friend. Uh, she she says the name uh, Ishmael. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I think that's how she pronounced it. But that's hinting at something that uh, is going to be coming up. But she says the last time somebody brought the dragon to the dark one was like 3,000 years ago. And people still say his name, Ishmael. And... Uh, that's going to be something. That's that's all I'm going to tell you. Anyway, before she can do anything, however, she does tell them that she's already contacted. Uh, somehow she's she's sent out a communication to a fade. There's a fade coming, and bef- she goes. So we're gonna we're gonna stay here and wait for him or it. And uh, then suddenly a a blade erupts from her throat, and it's Tom Marilyn standing behind her. He had thrown a, uh, one of his knives killed her and he's like did you not hear what she said there's a fade coming uh y'all might want to leave and frankly uh i'm going east if you want to come with me you can and they're both like east is good we could go east and they take off um and then the third part of the story is lan and moraine and um nynaeve we learn even more of how much of a badass nynaeve is because she's taken by the trollocs in the first episode during the raid on Emmons Field, and we see what happens there, which is this Trolloc is is pulling her by the braid through the forest and uh, comes across another Trolloc who's wounded, and the other Trolloc, the wounded one, is whining, and Nynaeve's Trolloc lets go of her long enough to go over to the wounded Trolloc, and he just opens up this Trolloc's belly with his sword and just starts eating on his entrails, and that and Nynaeve gets up and runs away. She runs to this cave with a pool in it. There's, it's a sacred cave. We, we, we uh, were introduced to this cave in the first episode. There was actually a scene that I forgot to talk about when I talked about the first episode where Moraine is talking to Nynaeve in this cave. Nynaeve tells her that it's a sacred place. And Moraine is telling her that, um, that Nynaeve is a bit young to be a, a wisdom and that she has learned from talking to the people in the village that uh, Nynaeve is not from the village, that uh, she was brought here as a baby by the previous wisdom. And um, again, you know, mentions that Nynaeve is a bit young to be a wisdom, that she's what, 25, 26, something like that. And uh, Nynaeve tells her a story about how the, the woman who raised her, the previous wisdom, had what she had learned that she could listen to the wind, that she went to Tarvalon, to the White Tower, where the Aes Sedai are. 
She walked there all the way from Emmons Field. And when she arrived, the uh, the Aes Sedai saw her, took one look at her in her grubby clothes and dismissed her immediately. And the woman never forgot about it. And therefore, uh, Nynaeve has never forgot about it either. So it's kind of their way of saying this. Here's one of the reasons why Nynaeve does not like Aes Sedai. Well, <laughs> when we meet up with Nynaeve and Lan and Moraine in this episode, in episode three, because when the second episode ends, she puts a she sneaks up behind Lan and puts her knife to his throat, says, take me to them before I slit your throat. Well, uh, they are at one point standing there facing each other and she's got her knife out and and Lan is like, look, Moraine needs help. You're a healer. If you know, if you heal her, she'll be able to, you know, give you all the information you want and answer your questions and blah, blah, blah. And, and Nani's like, well, what what makes you think I even want to help her? And Lan kind of gets closer to her and he's like basically standing close enough to her that the point of her knife is at his throat. And he goes, look, both of us know that you're not going to do anything. And then she tries to stab him in the neck. And of course, Lan being Lan, he's a badass as well. He dodges, grabs her, her, her arm, flips her around. So he's behind her and he's kind of holding her in a, in a, you know, like a, like a chokehold or something. And he kind of laughs. He goes, you just tried to kill me. And then he knocks her out. And then when she wakes up, she's tied to a freaking tree and he's gagged her. And uh, eventually he he unties her and he convinces her to help Moraine. And so while she's using her, you know, her healing skills with herbs and whatnot to create a poultice to try to heal Moraine, you know, he's, she's telling Lan that the, the Trolloc poison is like a, a poison she's never encountered before. She doesn't know if she can do anything more to help her. Rand, or... Lan tells her, you know, to stay with Moraine and he rides off. He comes back later and he says, I found what we need. Can she, can she ride? She says that, uh, she thinks that Moraine might have three or four hours left in her before, you know, there might be no turning back, but they put her in the salad, the salad. Oh my God. They put her in the saddle, they ride off. And eventually after three hours, they encounter, uh, other Aes Sedai. And Lan wakes Moraine up and he's like, Moraine, we need you now. And the the lead Aes Sedai, we learn, is named Leandrin. She says, Moraine Aes Sedai. And Moraine says, Leandrin Aes Sedai. And this is the Aes Sedai that we saw in the beginning of the first episode, chasing the dude who can channel. Now, she tells Moraine, you're too late. If you've come to help us, you're too late. We've captured a man who has proclaimed himself the Dragon Reborn. And then we see a man in a cage who looks very creepy and evil and and scary. Uh, it's not the guy she was chasing in the beginning of the first episode, but this is Loghain, uh, one of uh, a couple of false dragons that pop up throughout the book. He apparently is going to have a, a fairly big role in this first season where he doesn't really have much of a role during the first few books, but he does pop up now and again. Um, and that's kind of how the episode ends. And it's left me very sad because for you listening to this, it may be Wednesday, the 24th or later in the week. Uh, Even if it's just Wednesday, you've only got three days until Friday when the next episode comes out. For me, I'm recording this on Friday the 19th. I got to wait a whole week for the next episode. But again, I'm going to say this probably every time. I'm really enjoying the show. A lot of big sweeping changes have been made, especially with Tom Marilyn um, in this episode. And yet, I'm not mad. I'm not angry at the changes. 
Uh, I'm enjoying the crap out of it. It's very, very entertaining. It's, it's, it's holding my attention, which not a lot of shows can say anymore. And, uh, dang it. I want to watch that next episode. I'm happy that I can't binge the whole thing in one sitting. You know, I, I, I believe, I know I've talked about that before on other podcasts that I've done. Uh, I do kind of prefer watching them weekly because, um, a, you're not done with the whole thing over a weekend and B it helps you, uh, you know, you get out there onto the, onto the web, onto the, the Twitters and the, the whatnot, and you start conversations with people and you, you have theories about what might happen in the next episode and, and what happened during the previous episode. What does that mean? And what is that leading to? And, and there's not a lot of mystery in this show. It's not like a fricking WandaVision or anything, but still I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out there over the next week and having the conversations with people about, uh, what's going, what, you know, what's happened in these first three episodes, what's different from the books, what that means maybe for, uh, the show moving forward. I'm really hoping, uh, that by the next episode, which let's see if they've got the title out for that yet. The episode four is called the dragon reborn. So that sounds interesting. Uh, does that mean that by the end of episode four, we're going to know which one of these four is the dragon. I mean, I know anybody who's read the books knows, but Dana, the dark friend in this village makes a comment when she is confronting Rand and Matt that it's one of the five of them. And they're like, what do you mean five? Who's the fifth one? And uh, maybe that's naive. I don't know. I just don't know. So that's a mystery. That's something that we can, we can think about and uh, theorize on and all that good stuff. Who's the fifth person? Who was she talking about? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great show. The folks who are doing this, uh, I thank you. The people behind this show, I thank you. You guys are doing a great job. You've really, you've really created something great here, and I hope it keeps, you know, I hope this first season is wildly successful because I really want this to continue. I want them to do the entire story that they want to do. Uh, and I'll be there. We'll be doing these episodes every time a new one comes out. So episode four, it's going to land on November the 26th. That's the next Friday that's coming up. I'll watch it that Friday. I'll record an episode. If you're a member of my Patreon, which you can do for as little as a dollar a month, you can join that over at patreon.com slash Stephen R or link will be in the show notes. You're probably going to get that episode Friday night. Everybody else will get it the following Tuesday. That's that's usually kind of how I try to do it when I when I do episodes uh, involving shows that are on streaming channels. I try to get I try to watch the episode and record uh, my episode talking about it the day that it lands, and then I provide it to my patrons that same day, and then you guys will get it on Tuesday. All right. Uh, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, tomorrow you're going to get. The first episode of Hawkeye, which landed on Wednesday, the 24th. The first two episodes of Hawkeye landed on on today. Well, not today. I'm recording this on Friday. I'm all confused. But the day that this episode releases, Wednesday, the 24th, you're getting uh, two episodes of Hawkeye over on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so you'll get episode one and uh, on Thursday and episode two on Friday. And then the following weeks, you'll get your Hawkeye episodes on Thursday though the patrons will probably get them Wednesday night. Any questions? Okay. 
that's it. That's the week that you're that that you got rolling out the rest of the week, the next two days. Oh boy. Hey, do me a favor. If you're listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, go out there and rate the show. All right. Just do it. Just give it a rating because that really helps me in ways that not even I understand. You'd be really doing me a huge favor by just going out there and rating the show. If you've already done it, you don't have to do it again. You only got to do it once. You don't have to do it for every single episode. You're rating the show as a whole, not the episode. So when I'm asking you this, if you've already done it, you don't have to do it again. But if you haven't done it yet, please do so and know that you only have to do it once. All right. Tomorrow, Hawkeye, episode number one. Next week, we'll talk about episode number four of The Wheel of Time. Until then, folks, my name is Steven, and I am the streaming fool, because why not? Hello and welcome. Hello and welcome to the streaming pooper. I'm tired of this crap in my mouth. The two rivers village. The two rivers villagers are separated from more from Furkenfurter. Yeah, I know. I got to pee. Egwin, Egwin. I keep saying that. Egwin and Per. Egwin. I don't know why I have so much trouble with her name. was dumb.